Heavenly Father, we thank You, we praise You, we worship and honor Your name. You're such an awesome God. Lord, we just ask that Your Word, Father God, would reach and touch each heart that's here. That, Lord, as we look at just the exhortation, Father God, that is in this text, each one of us to live faithful lives, that when we hear from You, to respond. Lord, I just pray again, Lord, that each one of us this morning, if You desire to do a work in us, Father, we'd be obedient and listen. So, Lord, we love You, we praise You, Father, we thank You that that you are our teacher. We ask that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to give you a quick overview on the Gospel of Luke and just talk about, as I did at the beginning of each of the other Gospels, why are there four Gospels? I remember my dad telling me that when he first started, somebody gave him a Bible when he was a new Christian. He started reading the Bible and he read Matthew, then he read Mark, and he starts reading Luke. He's like, wait a minute, this is the same story over and over and over again. Is the whole Bible like this? You know, why are there four Gospels? Why, why, did, why do they continue to repeat a lot of the same information over and over and over again? Well, the Gospels have, are four different accounts that testify to the truth of who Jesus is. Gospel means good news. In the days of Jesus Christ, if you were to bring an accusation against somebody, you had to have at least two witnesses. And if you had three or four witnesses, it was considered an even stronger accusation or statement. Well, in this case, we have four Gospels of the good news, each of them having multiple witnesses that tell of God's truth. We know that each of the Gospels had a different primary focus. In Matthew, as we went through Matthew, Matthew, those of you who were here, the primary audience was the Jews. So the focus of it was to prove that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You see in the book of Matthew repeatedly, over and over and over again, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So whenever I talk to somebody who, who has struggles with how does the Old Testament tie into the New Testament, take them to the book of Matthew, because that's a real fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In the book of Mark, as we just looked at, the primary audience was the Romans. The emphasis there was on the fact that Jesus Christ is the suffering servant, that He came to earth and suffer and die that we might have eternal life. One of the keys to that chapter was that it was a constant, there was constant movement. Mark is, is the most brief of all the Gospels, and he doesn't give a lot of details. He just goes from point to point to point really quick. In the Gospel of John that we'll get to next, it was written mainly to the Gentile world, and it emphasizes the deity of Jesus Christ, that He truly is 100% God. Nobody else is God but Jesus alone. Amen? There are no other gods before Him, beside Him, or after Him. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. John 8.58 says, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus always has been. He's not a created being. He's not just the Son of God, but He is God incarnate. And then as we look at Luke, we're going to see that it too was written to Hellenistic Jews and also Gentile converts to Judaism. And it has a broader Gentile audience, but it, it emphasizes the perfect Son of Man. That Jesus Christ, while He is 100% God, is also 100% man. The Bible says He was tempted, tempted in all ways as we are, and yet without sin. And as we go through the book of Luke, we're going to see that it is the longest of all the Gospels. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of Luke is the longest of, of any of the books in the entire New Testament. Now, Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So with that being true, then he is actually the most prolific writer of the entire New Testament. And the number of verses that he wrote is actually greater than the number of verses that Paul wrote. Now, we're going to see as we go through the Gospel of Luke that Luke, the author, was a physician. Most likely he was a Gentile. He was extremely skilled in Greek. It says there that he was a companion of Paul. So a lot of the, the we see that he spent time with Paul. He had also met many of the apostles. We know from the from 
the uh, Gospels and also from the book of Acts that he had a relationship with Philip. And we're going to see as we go through the text that Luke did not actually, was not actually an eyewitness to these accounts. What he does is he speaks to the apostles and others who walk with Jesus Christ. Now some people will say, well, wait a minute, then that means that these are just the opinions of men. Let me tell you something, that everything written in the Word of God is divinely written by the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's from God. God uses men to write it down. And you might say, well, why didn't God just write it? Well, He certainly could have. But why doesn't God just open up the sky today and tell everybody that they need to be born again? Because God chooses to use men. And it's a total blessing. And we're going to talk about that this morning. And we're going to see that, that Luke was a really awesome guy. Luke was imprisoned with Paul for several years. And we see that Luke is a guy that continued to walk with God even when things got difficult. Tradition states that he was from Antioch, that he remained unmarried and he died at the age of 84. And again, not a direct person who walked and saw the things of Jesus Christ, but things that were given to him, as we'll see in the first few verses this morning. One of the things we see about Luke is he writes with a great deal of compassion. And as a doctor, you'll notice that he puts greater emphasis on the crucifixion because he talks about the medical things that happened to Christ. He gets more in detail to what crucifixion is all about. That's why quite often when people look at the crucifixion, they go to the Gospel of Luke. Luke also shows the universality of the Christian message. He talks about Christianity being for the Jews, being for the Samaritans, who were half Jew and half Gentile, being for the poor, being for the rich, being for the respected, being for the reviled, being for criminals, and being for the religious. So there will be four sections as we go through Luke. The first section that we'll begin looking at this morning is the introduction of the Son of Man. Then the second section we'll see is the ministry of the Son of Man. We'll see Jesus demonstrate His authority over demons, over disease, over nature, over the effects of sin, over tradition and all men. His ministry, we'll see, will include preaching, healing, and the discipling of others. Then we'll move on and we'll see the rejection of the Son of Man, the intense opposition that increases as people have hatred toward Him. He comes to die that we might have life and people have hatred toward Him. And then finally, we'll see the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Son of Man. That Jesus being 100% God truly is 100% man. We'll see His betrayal in the garden. We'll see the, the religious and the civil trials that He goes through. And you know what? The compassionate Son of Man came to live among sinners, to love them, to help them, and to die for them. So this morning, let's begin in verse 1. And what we're going to look at this morning first is the purpose and the method of Luke's Gospel. Then we're going to look in the next couple of weeks at two different reactions to good news being reported to people. This morning we're going to look at Zacharias, who is the father of John the Baptist, and, and we'll see how he responds in faithlessness. And then next week we're going to look at a young woman by the name of Mary, and how she responds to good news with faithfulness. And you know what? It's going to be an example to each one of us as believers that God has a calling upon each one of our lives, and how do we respond to God's calling upon our lives? So let's begin by looking at the purpose and the method of Luke's Gospel, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of these things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. Now, verses 1 through 4 is all one sentence, but I just want to stop there for a second. And he says there, many have taken in hand. Luke, is being inspired by the Holy Spirit, begins by acknowledging that the works of God have been revealed to many people. And this is the point I was talking about a moment ago, that he went and he sought out and he spoke to others who God had ministered to, who Jesus Christ had ministered to. I also believe that he's talking about the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, 
which most believe were written before the Gospel of Luke. And he's saying many others God has revealed truth to. And he's writing this letter to Theophilus. We're going to look at that in just a moment. As he's writing him a letter, he's letting him know there are other, tru- other things that are absolutely true that you may have already read, but I'm going to give you a very clear and more detailed message. And that's exactly what Luke does. He says, to set in order. Again, he's going to narrate the ministry of Christ in an authoritative and logical and factual order. You'll notice the Gospel of Luke is not, not, well, not 100%. It's much more chronological than the other Gospels. Some of the Gospels are arranged by topic. But this is very chronological, beginning even before the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, how many of you have ever seen that movie, Jesus, that they, they, they send out all over the world? They've, it's taken only from the Gospel of Luke. They use no, no other Gospels. They use just Luke because Luke has the greatest amount of detail. And we'll see that as we go through it. It says that these things, the things that have been fulfilled among us during the time that he was on the earth, he had seen these things happen. You know, who's a greater person to reveal to us the works of Jesus Christ than someone that lived during his time? He could go and talk to people that were there. He'd go talk to the woman at the well if he wanted to, right? I mean, he'd go talk to the apostles. He could be there, people that saw him after he'd been risen from the dead. And that's exactly what Luke had done. Verse 2 says, Again, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers to us of the Word delivered them to us. Verse 3, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all these things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Now, having perfect understanding, and that word there in the original language means to have traced out carefully. Luke had access again to the apostles and those And being led by the Holy Spirit, he sat down and God divinely spoke through him as he wrote out the Gospel. Again, he had the example of Philip, who he spent a lot of time with. He had the examples of others who who were eyewitness accounts to what Jesus Christ had done. It says here, from the very first, that word could also be from above. While Luke was both diligent and faithful in gathering his information and sources, again, the Gospel of Luke is not the opinion of Luke, but is Almighty God speaking through a man who wrote it all down. And again, while God may be the tool that, while men may be the tool that God uses, ultimately only God brings revelation. You know what? Man has no revelation were it not given to him by God. Amen? That's what, you know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. A lot of times you go into churches and it's really confusing. You know, 45 different pe- people are speaking, and t- this person's jumping up and down, all this stuff's going on all around. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not interrupt himself. Amen? The Holy Spirit is very clear in what he says and what he teaches. And he's speaking through Luke as he writes it all down. Now he says here, the letter is written to most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent is a word that would be used for someone in a position of authority. As I looked at some commentators, some people thought that this may be, he may be writing this letter to somebody high up in the Roman government who had given their life to Jesus Christ and he's actually using another name for them because they were not able to be real bold about their faith at this point. The word there, Theophilus, means lover of God. Now, again, some believe that's an actual person. You know, maybe a Roman official, someone who's given a life to the Lord. But others have said maybe it just means it's written to all lovers of God. He's saying, you know, most excellent Theophilus, most excellent lover of God, I've got a narrative of the truth of who Jesus Christ is I want to share with you. In either case, it's absolutely true that this gospel was written to every single one of us. Verse 4 that you may know the certainty of those things in which you are instructed. God's Word is the authority and the foundational truth for all Theophilus 
have been instructed and for everything we've been instructed. You know, most of the world is running around grappling for the answer and the meaning of life. And I love the word here, certainty, that you may know the certainty of those things which you were instructed. I believe Theophilus, if it's written to him, that he was a man who was a new believer in his faith. And he was trying to understand this Christianity thing. What is this really all about? This is the first century church. And this gospel is being written to him to give him clear understanding of the things that he had been taught. And to know that he can trust in them with certainty. You know what? Everything else that people believe in, they're grasping at straws. Every other ism, every, you know, the New Age movement, all the other, the cults, and all the other faiths and philosophies that people follow after, they're void and they're empty. You know what? We, we're the only ones that serve a God who wants to give to us. Every other God that man serves wants to take from him because they're gods that do not exist. Amen? We can trust and know with certainty that Jesus Christ is God. Amen? That he, that he came for sinful men like me and you. And that He died on the cross, that He paid the price, that He's risen from the dead, and that He's coming back. And that's not a hope so, that's a no so. Amen? We can know that we know that we know that our God is a risen and living Savior. Not the vain opinions of men, but the certainty. Now, we're going to look at the forerunner of Jesus Christ this morning. How many of you are familiar with John the Baptist? Okay, I love John the Baptist. This is one of my favorite guys in the Bible. But do you know, it's amazing to me that it was out of difficult situations in his parents' life that they had the greatest blessing that came. And we're going to look at a, a, a priest by the name of Zacharias, who in the beginning is a man of great faith. But we're going to see that he goes from a man of faithfulness to a man of fear. Then he goes from a man of fear to a man of faithlessness. And we're going to see this happen, and it can happen in the lives of each one of us. He's walking with God, but very quickly he gets detoured and very quickly he has disbelief now i want to set up the time for you this was a very dark time in israel there had been the people had heard from no prophetic word for over 400 years since malachi since the end of malachi there had been no prophetic word for 400 years and people had turned their back away from god israel had become godless their king was a man by the name of Herod, who most of you have heard of. And Herod was a very ungodly tyrant. A man who had nine wives and executed one just for no reason, to let every, you know, keep everybody in line. But you know what's awesome? No matter how dark the day may be, no matter how dark a place we may live in, there are always those who are faithful to God who are called to be salt and light. Well, Zacharias was such a man. He was a faithful man of the priesthood. And we're going to take a look at Zacharias. Let's begin in verse 5. There was such, it says, this was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, Aaron was obviously the priestly line. And so Elizabeth came from a priestly line, and so did Zacharias. So they both were raised in godly homes, and both of them were serving and honoring the Lord. It says there, verse 6, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, it says there he was faithful. Zacharias' name means Jehovah has remembered. Elizabeth's name means God is my oath. So this is a godly couple who were raised in a godly home, who are being faithful and diligent to serve God in the midst of a dark generation. These are some pretty neat people. You say, praise the Lord. 
And you know what? May we be the same way because we do live in, again, it's Santa Cruz, which means Holy Cross. And I, I, my prayer is every morning and every evening and every afternoon that God will bring revival to this county and that God would begin in my own heart first and foremost and He'd begin in your hearts. And you know what? God can certainly do a work here. But this place is pretty dark right now. But just as Zacharias and Elizabeth were lights in the midst of darkness, so too should we be lights in the midst of a very dark county. And so in spite of the godlessness around them, they were faithful to obey the Word of God and to live blamelessly. Verse, verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in their years. So in those days, if you did not have a child, it was a sign of, well, basically you were a reproach. People would give you grief. In some cases, they believed it was a sign of divine disfavor, that God somehow must not care for you because you don't have any children. And so this was very difficult. Can you imagine you're walking with God, you're serving God, you're honoring God. No doubt this is something they're praying about probably every single day. We're so desperate to have children. And you know, some of you may be able to relate to that. Before Lynette and I had Ashley, we lost our first child, and after that, they told us it would be extremely difficult for us to have children. And we went several years just praying, and we were considering adoption. But you know what? God is the one who opens and closes the womb in His perfect time. Amen? According to His perfect will. And He is the great physician. And He can do anything He wants to. And aren't you glad? Amen? And you know what? The doctors were wrong. God's always right. Doctors can be wrong quite often, but, but the Lord never is. And you know, they were praying, and you know, I, I have an idea. It says here, because they were advanced in years, they probably, they may have gotten to the point where they'd given up. You know, it says they're well advanced in years, and I believe that they had given up because we're going to see his response when he finds out that his wife is going to have a child. It's going to be unbelief. And so in the midst of this difficulty, these godly people, have, there's, there's sorrow because they haven't had children. But little did they know that God would answer their prayers and give them not a priest but a prophet, that their son would be the answer to 400 years of waiting. And he would come in God's perfect timing, and he would be the forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God made manifest in the flesh. What an awesome thing, amen? And what a blessing that it is. But yet they had been waiting their entire lives, no children, but God knew all along. You know, some of you right now, you may be praying for things in your life, and you may feel like you've been waiting a long, long time. And maybe you have, from a worldly perspective. But know that God's timing is always perfect. Amen? And when it happens, it'll be for His ultimate glory. And that's what we'll see here with John the Baptist. So we're going to see him move from faith to fear. Look beginning in verse 8. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to him to burn the incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now the priest on duty drew lots to see the ministries they would perform. And Zacharias was chosen to offer the incense in the holy place. Now understand, this was the most high honor in the lifetime of a priest. These priests were in divisions and they would only serve in the temple two weeks out of the year. And then there were so many of them and they would draw lots and they were only allowed one time in their entire life when they were able to enter in through that great veil we've talked about into that most holy place and burn the incense before God. It was only one time in your entire life that you got to do this. And, this, and many of, of the priests, it never happened. So for Zacharias, this was the most holy and awesome moment of his lifetime that the lot fell to him 
And it was his opportunity to go into that most holy place. And once again, we're going to see that God's in control. And God brought him into that most holy place in his perfect timing. And he had an awesome message for Zacharias. So entering in this most holy place was considered entering into that very presence of Almighty God. Remember, we talked about the veil, that it was 60 feet wide, or 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and 10 inches thick. This thing was huge. And when, when the priests would go in, they would tie a rope around them because nobody else was allowed to go in there. Or they would be struck down dead. So they would, they would put them in and then if the guy had a heart attack or something, they had to have a way to drag him back out. So they would tie a rope around him and they would go in and they would burn incense. And again, incense is a representation of what in the Bible? Who knows? It's prayer. And so they would go in and, and then after he would burn the incense, again, this most holy moment of his entire life, most awesome blessing of his entire life, he would then come out and the people would be outside waiting and he would pray with them. Look at verse 10. It says, And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. The multitude was praying. Only one could enter in. And you know what? What's that a representation of? There's only one that could enter in. And that was Jesus Christ. Amen? This is a picture of Jesus. He's the only sacrifice. He's the only one that could pay the price for us. Nobody else could. Because He's the only one who was sinless, perfect Lamb of God. So Zacharias goes in, this most holy moment, the most awesome moment of his entire life, this awesome man of God who's been praying and seeking God's will, a man who was raised in a godly home, a man who has a godly wife. They're blameless before God. And he goes in to this most holy moment and watch what happens. Verse 11. Then, he, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. His initial response is fear. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I think that's the normal response. If an angel showed up at my house, I think I'd be afraid. How about you? Amen? You know, I mean, if somebody starts, you know, you go in there to burn some incense, and the angel shows up, whoa. Now, we're going to see next week that Mary responds the same way initially when the angel shows up to her. She's afraid. But we're going to see that Mary, instead of this fear turning to faithlessness, she soon turns it to faithfulness. But we're going to see here with Zacharias that the angel... Now, let me ask you something. If you're walking with God and then an angel shows up at your house and tells you something, do you think you might be inclined to believe him? Angel shows up at my house and says, this is what's happened. I, oh, yes, Lord, that's it, okay. I mean, an angel shows up, that's probably about enough of a sign for me. I don't know about you guys, right? And you know, Zacharias had been one who'd studied the Word, and you know what, this is the same angel that had appeared to Daniel, back in Daniel. Same angel that showed up when Daniel was praying, and he showed up, here comes the same angel, he appears to Zacharias, and he's going to tell him a word. But I want to say this, John said in Revelation 1.17, and when I saw him... I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. You know what? In those days they had a great fear of the presence of God. But you know what's awesome? Is the veil's been torn and we don't need to fear being in the presence of God anymore. Amen? We don't have to tie a rope about one guy and let him go in and burn incense anymore. Do you know you can enter into that most holy place driving in your car down the freeway? You can enter into God's presence anywhere anytime. And he's, he wants us to come and sit at his feet him and talk to him. Isn't that great? Our God is not a distance, far away God. He's Abba Father, which means Daddy. And Daddy is someone whose lap you can crawl up into and tell him that you love him. 
And that's our God. That's who we serve. And so Zacharias at the time, though, there was this reverence and awe for the things of God. Jesus had not yet come. The veil had not been torn. He enters into this most holy place, which no doubt was the most intense moment of his life, and an angel shows up. And he's afraid. And I understand that. But look at his reaction. The reaction is not what it could have been. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, note that God speaks to those people who come into his presence. Where is, where is Zacharias when the Lord speaks to him? He's in the presence of God. You know, if you haven't heard from God lately, let me ask you a question. How much time have you spent with him lately? Amen? You know, God is a gentleman. He's not a God who's going to come in and, and, and when you're so busy doing all your stuff and try to grab you and shake you, He's not going to do that. God desires that we would come to Him and desire to spend time with Him. I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Many times people come and say, hey, you know, my, my relationship with my wife's a mess, my relationship with my family. Are you guys, are you praying? No, well, we're not praying. You know, I need to hear from the Lord. Are you praying? No. You're spending time with the Word? No. What do you think? You think God's going to show up at your house and write it on a chalkboard and hand it? I mean, God so desires to talk to you. God is speaking. We're just not listening. Amen? God is always there. He's always wanting and desiring to speak to each one of us. If you haven't heard from God lately, how much time have you spent with Him? And He says to the angel shows up, He's in, he's in this most holy place, and He says, Your prayer is heard. Now, I want to say to you that I believe this was a prayer that He had been praying for many years, but He had stopped probably a long time ago. And sometimes we think that when we pray, if we don't get an answer tomorrow, that, well, that's it. You know, there are three answers to prayer. Yes, no, and wait. Amen? Wait's the hard one. I can take no better than wait, right? No, okay, well, all right. Well, you just get on. But wait, what do you mean wait? That's what God wants us to do sometimes. He wants to teach us patience. He said, your prayer is heard. And you know what? That's the truth about every prayer of every person in this room. Do you know that God hears your prayers? Isn't it awesome to know that the Creator of the universe is never too busy for you? Never. That's a blessing. The name John means Jehovah is gracious. Isn't that good? I like that. I have a son named John. And you know what? Jehovah is gracious. God is a God of grace. It's exactly the God that we serve. And you shall call His name John. Now you would think that an angel shows up. You've been praying for many, many, many years and He shows up and says, hey, guess what? Your prayer's been heard. You're going to have a son and His name is going to be Jehovah is gracious. You think John would say, yes! Right? Praise the Lord! It's an answer to prayer. I can't wait to go home and tell him this is awesome. Look what he says. He doesn't respond that way. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Did you hear that? You're going to have a son, and everybody's going to rejoice. It's going to be an awesome time. It's going to be awesome and a great thing. Verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now wait a minute. Not only are you going to have a son, but he's going to be filled from the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And then what he describes here is the Nazarite vow, which is a vow that's in the book of Leviticus, where you, he is set apart to God from even before his birth. The only other people I could tell you about that, real, that you would know of in the Bible that had done that. Samson had taken the Nazarite vow, and so had Samuel. They were set apart to God from even before they were born. And this is exactly what has happened here. Is he's been set apart unto the Lord. 
You know, the Bible says, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. There's nothing I love more than seeing my kids walking with God. There's nothing I love more than listening to my children tell other people about Jesus. There's nothing I love more than watching my kids sing praise songs as we're driving down the freeway. There's nothing I love more. And you know what? There will be nothing that would, would please me more than if the Lord showed up to me and said, your son is going to be set apart to be used mightily by God, filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. You would think, wow! So not only am I getting a son, but he's going to be set apart to God and filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, and everybody's going to rejoice. This is incredible. Jesus said this about John the Baptist. He said, of men born among women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said. So this John the Baptist guy was a pretty awesome guy. But you know what I love? Is that Jesus says that about John, but what does John say about himself? John says, I must decrease that he might increase. The man that Jesus said was the greatest man who ever lived, apart from himself, said of himself, I need to be less of me so I can be more of him. You know, our walk with God is like, an, you know, it, it, as little there is of us, the more there can be of him. And the more there is of us, the less there can be of him. We must learn to decrease that he might increase within us. That's what John the Baptist said. Now, during those years of waiting and potential frustration, they had no idea what awesome things God had in store for them. They had no idea that not only were they going to have a son, but he was going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was going to be Jesus' best man in a sense. I'll talk about that in a minute. What an awesome thing. And you know what? May we not get frustrated or become faithless waiting upon God's perfect timing. You know what? A lot of times what we do is we look at our circumstances and we figure we're beyond help. And then we go out and we try to make it happen. You know, oh man, I want a wife so bad. I've got to get married. You know, oh man, I, you know, well, you know, and you try to make things happen. I want a husband. You know, I just, you know, I've got to make this happen. I, you know, I've I got to go here. I've got to go there. I've got to start being seen more. I've got to make this happen. I've got to knock some walls down. I, well, you know, well, she, look, she's kind of a Christian. She went to church one time. That's good. You know, your standards are getting less. You know, we start trying to force things in the hand of God. But you know what? I know there's some people in this room that you waited and God blessed you in an awesome way. And aren't you glad you did? Amen? God has something so good for you down at the end. And sometimes we want to force the hand of God. You know what? God doesn't need my help. He just needs my faithfulness. Desires me to be faithful. Amen? God is a great and an awesome God and His perfect will will come in His perfect timing. Verse 16. And He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now wait a minute. So not only am I going to have an awesome son, I'm going to have a son, but he's going to be set apart to God. He's going to take the Nazarite vow. He's going to be filled from the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And in the midst of this extremely dark generation, he's going to turn people back to God? He should be doing car wheels. Shouldn't he be excited? Wow! This is so great. What an awesome thing. What an awesome truth. Verse 17, He will also go before Him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now wait a minute. He's going to go out in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Malachi verses, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Now, isn't that interesting that those are the last words of the Old Testament? 
For 400 years, they've been waiting for another prophet. The angel shows up. Do you think Zacharias knew the Old Testament? He's the priest. He better know it, right? It's like some Christians don't know the Bible, but he should know what the, what the Old Testament said. They've been waiting for 400 years for a prophet, and guess what? There's a prophet coming. He's going to be your son. And you know what? God's going to use him mightily to turn the darkness of Israel back to God. Wow! This is so awesome! Praise the Lord! He, again, doing cartwheels. He says, to make ready the way for the Lord. Now some of you have heard this before. Forgive me if you have. But the, I'm going to share with you real quickly a, the Jewish, what I call the Jewish marriage analogy. In the days of the Jews, when they got married, it was very formal. What they would do is the parents would arrange the marriage. I'm having a 13-year-old daughter, I'm kind of for that. You know? But they would arrange the marriage, and what would happen is that the fathers would agree, and then they would be betrothed. And from the point of betrothal, the, the groom-to-be would give the bride-to-be a gift, which would be a down payment or a, a sign that we are betrothed together. And then after he had given her a gift, he would then go away and prepare a house for them to live in. And she would wait for him. And he would stay there, and, that, and when, the house, when he thought the house was ready, he would call his father. His father would come in and inspect it, and his father would say, okay, the house is ready, go get your bride. Now the bride was, was to be made ready, which means she would have her bridesmaids typically sleeping in her house or, or nearby, and she'd have her wedding gown or, or her gown on the door, you know, and she'd make sure there was plenty of land. She didn't know if he was coming by day or coming by night. She had to be ready for any moment. And it says that the best man would run into town in front of him and say, He's coming! He's coming! Get ready! He's coming! And the bride, oh, we've got to get ready. So then, you know, they're jumping up and getting her dressed, and, and the, the, all the bridal party would come in, and then he would come into town, and they would go and have the, the marriage ceremony, and then the bride and the groom, for the first time ever, would go away for seven days to be alone, and at the end of that seven days, they would come back and have a huge feast. Now, what's that a picture of? Can you see that? Isn't that awesome? That we have been betrothed, in a sense, to Almighty God. And He gave us a gift as a down payment of the fact that He's coming back. The gift He gave us is not a ring, but He gave us the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is a down payment on our eternal inheritance. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So now we know. And where is He now? He's gone away to prepare a place for us. And the Bible says that He's coming back soon. Right? Amen? And we are to be ready because He can come at any time, any day, any moment. And when He comes back, we're going to go away and be with Him, not for seven days, but for seven years, which is during the time they will have the great tribulation on earth. Then we will come back and rule and reign with Him on earth for a thousand years. Amen? Now, He's saying here that John the Baptist is the best man of Jesus. He is going to come into town before Jesus shows up and say, He's coming! He's, your, your son is going to be the best man for the Messiah. Oh, I mean, I would be like, this is awesome. This is so awesome. You know, I mean, you, you'd think you'd be excited. You know, hey, my son plays for the 49ers. No, my son is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to turn the wicked people of Israel back to God. This is incredible. Uh, look at, let's, let's watch what happens that his fear is going to turn into faithlessness. Look how he responds, beginning in verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. 
So instead of listening to the promise of God and the faithfulness of God, he looks at the limits of, his own, of, his, of himself and his wife. And sometimes that's what happens to us. God is calling you to do something, and you say, well, wait a minute, you know, I'm a stutterer. That's what Moses said when God told him to go back and speak for Israel. Well, I can't do it, I stutter. Well, wait a minute, I'm not looking for you, Moses. I'm looking at how awesome a God I am. I can do anything, amen? And sometimes we limit how God can use us because we look at our own frailties instead of looking at the awesomeness of Almighty God. And that's exactly what he does. He says, well, how do I know this? Well, duh, an angel showed up. That ought to be a good clue. What do you think? Amen? How do I know this is really going to happen? Well, if an angel showed up in my house, that would work for me. And again, here's the angel, the announcement of God's word. You think it would encourage him, but instead of listening and looking to God by faith, he looked at himself and his wife and decided the birth of a son was impossible. She's too old. How am I going to know this? You know what? This is unbelief. And do you know that unbelief has consequences? And it's going to. Look at verse 19. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. He says, how do I know this is going to happen? He says, I'm Gabriel. Have you ever been reading the Old Testament? Did you read Daniel? Gabriel. That's who I am. I stand in the presence of the Creator of the universe and I'm now talking to you. Is that good enough? Think that works? Right? He doesn't get it. Gabriel is one of, one of only two angels mentioned anywhere in the Bible. Gabriel, Michael's the other one. And what's interesting to me is here's this angel giving him the truth, but had he studied the Old Testament, maybe he might have heard of a story of Abraham and Sarah. Didn't something similar happen to them? You know, 99-year-old wife, oh, she's going to have a baby. Yeah, right. Right? I mean, but that's what happened. Because you don't look at the frailty of Sarah, you look at the awesomeness of God. Amen? And so because of that, God can use us. Isn't God's Word enough? Has the Holy Spirit... Let me ask you a question. Has the Holy Spirit been prompting you to do something, but you've been holding back because you look at your own frailties? You say, well, you know, I'm just not... You know, I'm not a an outspoken guy like Pastor Dave. Right? You know, I'm not a musician like Javier. Or, you know, I, I'm not gifted with, you know... Certain, I can't do that. I can't play an instrument. and I'm not as outspoken. I'm not well educated. or I'm not this or I'm not that. Stop talking about what you're not and start thinking about what God is. Amen? It's not, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, searching for one. He can show himself strong on one whose heart is loyal to him. God is not looking for ability but availability. Amen? Don't look at your frailties. Look at the awesomeness of Almighty God. I love it. Are you simply living life without seeking God's direction? Do you pray and go to God's Word and seek godly counsel before you make decisions? Do you, do you just make decisions based on, well, I think that sounds pretty good. Are we seeking God? Are we doing things in our own frailty or are we trusting in the Lord? You know what? I believe God cares enough about us that He desires for us to, to ask for His guidance in every aspect of our lives. Absolutely. I believe we ought to pray about what movie we go see. I do. What, does God care? Yes, He does. Absolutely. Does God have divine appointments for us every single day? No question. But you know what happens? We miss out on, on God's plan because we look at our own frailties and we're so caught up in the everyday life that we miss Him. Again, we have yet to see what God can do with one man or woman who is willing to live completely and totally in the center of God's will. D.L. Moody said that, and I thought, man, I want to be that guy. 
So we've yet to see what God can do with one person who's willing to say, Lord, I'm yours. Use me. I'm not, whatever you want to do, Lord, don't hold back. Just show me what you want and I'll do it. You know what? We've yet to see what God can do with one person who's willing to be that way. Shouldn't that be the heart of every one of us? Lord, use me. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? But sometimes we're so focused on stuff and getting the house and buying this and getting the stuff and doing, and we just miss God. We don't have time for God. Man, I'm glad He had time for us. Some of you might be saying, you know, to some of you I might ask you this question, God saved you, now what? Okay, you're saved. Alright, I'm saved. Right? Got the get out of hell free card, it's in my wallet. No hellfire for me, thank you Jesus, right? And that's good, that's awesome, that's important. But is He done? God saved you, now what? Do you know the spiritual gifts and calling He's placed upon your life? Do you know that if you've been born again, God has called you? to something. Amen? And He didn't just call you to be a pew potato. Amen? He didn't just call us to go, be the biggest, fattest sheep, best fed people in town. Now again, we need to feed on the Word of God and we need to grow spiritually every single day. But you know what? We need to take that out and use it for the Kingdom of God. You know what? I prayed from day one that God would bring the servants first to Calvary Santa Cruz. And you're here, so you must be them. Amen? (laughs) Praise the Lord. But you know what? If God's called us, He's called us to use us. And you know what? We just need to say, Lord, what do you want? how do you want to use me? Lord, I want my life to count for Your kingdom. I don't want to get in with my tail smoking. Amen? I mean, I want to be walking with You. I want to be filled with You. I want to be somebody who, who has an impact on a lost and dying world. If you want to know what your gifts are, pray and ask God to show you. He won't hide. And then go out and dig a well. I tell people this all the time. A burden is a spawning ground of a calling. What do you care about? The closer you get to God, what is it that grips your heart? Is it children? Maybe God's calling you to minister to children. Is it worship? Maybe God's called you to that. Is it evangelism? Maybe God's called you to that. Is it just being someone who feels like, you know, I just want to help. I want to come early. I want to set up the chair. I just want to, I just want to be fit. You know what? Is it the workplace where you work and you just say, man, I want to be the salt and light of this place, Lord. Pray and ask God to show you the gifts He's given you and then step out, dig a well. Alan Redpath said, it's possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but I do believe that there are many that when they get to heaven, that there will be no grieving in heaven. But you know what? I know that every one of us will wish we had done more for the kingdom of God. Amen? Nobody's going to get there and go, man, I did too much for the Lord. should have skied more. You know what I mean? We're not going to do that. You know, and I missed that Super Bowl. 30, went to church instead. What was that all about? You know, I mean, we, we're not going to do that when we get to heaven. We're not going to say, I wish I'd done less. But you know what? It's not too late because we can begin now to do more. Verse 19. And the angel answered said, I am Gabriel. Gabriel's name means strong man of God. I was sent to you from the presence of God. What more do you need? What more do you need me to tell you? Verse 20. But behold... You will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. God's word happens in God's time. And what's interesting to me is what happened to Zacharias because he didn't believe? Because his faith went to fear and his fear went to faithlessness. What happened to Zacharias? His ministry ended. What's he supposed to do in just a few seconds after this? He's supposed to walk out and minister to all the crowd of people that are gathered around and he's supposed to lead them in prayer. Can you do that if you're deaf and dumb? 
No. And, it's not, and he's going to be deaf and dumb until his wife has a baby. So for at least nine months, he's going to be doing nothing. Why? Lack of faith. You know what? As Christians, when we lack faith, we do nothing for the kingdom of God. Amen? That's exactly what happened to Zacharias. Because of his faithlessness, because of his fear, he became faithless. Verse 21. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. Usually they go in and they're like, what is he doing in there? But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. Can you imagine after seeing this angel, you come out and you might have a few things you would like to say. And he gets out there and he's... And they're like, what? And he's got nine months of that. Why? Because he didn't believe the Word of God. He didn't believe what God told him. He didn't trust that God could use him that way. He thought, well, I'm too old. Well, I'm not equipped. Don't let the enemy tell you that same lie. You're not too old. You're not, you're not unequipped. You're not, you know, it's God in you. It's not the greatness of us or the frailty of us. It's the greatness of God. Amen? That's what we need to learn to turn to and to trust in. Verse 23. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. That means a week. So a week later, he goes home. And after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. When we are faithless, God is still faithful. That's what I wrote down. Had Zacharias been faithful? No. He didn't believe, he doubted God, he didn't trust Him. But yet, was John the Baptist still born? Did God still give him that son? Did he still turn the people of Israel back to God? Was he still filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb? Did he, you know what? All those things, God's perfect plan, we can't keep it from happening. But we can either be an active part of it, or we can miss it all together. Amen? And you know what? May, Calvary Santa, may we be people who are an active part of what God wants to do in Santa Cruz County. Amen? May we not be ashamed. May we not look at our own frailties. May we not think that, no, Lord, I can't possibly be used by You. She hid herself for five months, probably in an act of devotion to God and out of gratitude. But it says there that she praised God because the reproach, childlessness carried a reproach in her culture where blessings were tied to birthrights and family lines. It carried a social stigma, stigma that could be extremely humiliating. But now, not only was she to have a son, but he would be a prophet and the forerunner of the coming Messiah. She went from someone who was a reproach to men to somebody who was used mightily by God. What an awesome thing. And you know what? Every one of us can be that same way. Amen? So in conclusion... Zacharias started well. He was faithful. In the midst of a dark and godless generation. But he allowed fear and unbelief to rob him of God's perfect calling upon his life. Instead of looking, by God, looking to God by faith, he looked at himself and his wife and decided that the birth of a son was impossible and said, well, God doesn't know what he's talking about. His faithlessness left him speechless and completely ineffective for ministry. But praise God in spite of it all, when we are faithless again, He is faithful. Let me ask you guys a question. I want you to think about this for a minute. We're done in the Bible, so you can shout it if you want. Let me ask you a question. I want you to examine your own hearts. I asked myself this as I was studying at 2 o'clock in the morning last night. Is there more that God wants to do with you? Is there more? 
Does God have a greater plan? Is there more that He has in store for your life? Is there more things He wants to do with you that He's not doing right now? Are you being faithful to the call that God has placed upon your life? Not some of it, but are you being faithful to all of it? Let me tell you right now, I'm not talking at you, I'm speaking with you, because I'm examining my own heart. Is there more that God wants to do with me? Absolutely. Am I being totally faithful to all that God's called me to do? I know I'm not. I know there's more that God wants to do with me. Has either fear or the business of day-to-day life left you ineffective? Have you become deaf and dumb in your walk with God because you're so focused on other things that you've missed the call that He has upon your life? If you know there's more that God wants to do with you, or if you haven't been spending enough time with Him, and, and you know that you should, and you want to hear His voice more clearer, and if you don't know what your gifts or calling are, or you want, or you want to know, Lord, I, I know you want to do more with me, Lord, and I don't know what it is. Lord, I, you know, I, I know it's fear in my own life. Lord, I even know what the calling is in my life, but I've been afraid because I just don't feel like I'm equipped enough. If that's you this morning, I want you to do this right now. I want you to stand up with me that I might pray for you. If there's anybody here that says, you know, I know God wants to do more with my life, and I want prayer that God would give me strength and direction and wisdom for my life, I'm standing myself. If you want to, I want you to stand. I just want to pray with you and pray for you right now. Is there anybody here at all? God bless you guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord, that it's not our frailty, but it's your awesomeness that works wonders in this world. It's not... How, how great we are, how talented we are, how gifted we are, but how great you are. And Lord, I just pray that you would look down from heaven, Lord, and you see everybody who's standing here this morning. And Father, we each desire, Lord, to be used more effectively by you. Lord, we desire that you would take the gifts that you've given us, and Lord, that you would make them manifest to some. Some who are standing here don't know what their gifts are. I pray that you would show them to them. Those who know what their gifts are, Lord, and they've been afraid for whatever reason, I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them to know that it's you that's working through them. And Father, I just pray, Lord, for Holy Spirit boldness in each life. I pray, Lord, that for a fresh pouring of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, you give us a spiritual perspective that we, again, would not be overcome by our frailties, but we would be realizing the faithfulness of Almighty God. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you, Lord. We just ask that you do an awesome work in each life that's represented here. Begin in their marriages, begin in their families and in their homes. Help them to be effective in the workplace. And just show them, Lord, the work you want to do in their lives, in my life as well. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship and honor your name. You are such an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's remain standing and close the worship song.